Tune in to The Fintech Files for exclusive interviews with fintech executives and thought leaders. We will talk about how the industry will overcome the crisis that has marked the start of the decade, how it can be part of the solution, and how the financial world will evolve in the next decade. This is your host, George Alaferis from Arama. Today on the podcast, we have Brian Mehta, CMO of Trading Technologies, a company that makes tools that allow the world's premier traders to maintain their age. Brian, welcome to the FinTech Files. Thanks for having me, George. It's great to have you here. So you're in Chicago and I'm in London, and uh, we'll discuss a lot about the futures trading platform um, that you work for. But first of all, first of all um, can you tell me a little bit about your your career and um, your role before joining uh, Trading Technologies and what do you bring to the role? For sure. So uh, I started my career um, in uh, technology, uh, the telecom world and, and uh, had held various positions from finance, product management, operations. Um, and I grew up in, in technology and, and fortunately I, I had a uh, uh, a, a penchant of, of being involved in, in growth um, growth industries. So it started in telecom and then it, it migrated into the dot-com world um, and then uh, wireless uh, technologies, cell phone technologies, in, uh, health tech. And, um, and my last job prior to uh, joining Trading Technologies was at Motorola. And my last position there was of North America marketing. So I was uh, developing all the marketing, the partnering relationships with, uh, with major um, wireless companies. Uh, obviously, we were at the time making um, cell phones, smartphones, tablets, and uh, we were uh, marketing uh, across the board uh, on television, digital formats, sponsorships, um, had a, had a lot of uh, dealings with uh, with media platforms um, and, and partnerships, including like the NFL or or um, or rock concerts, um, music concerts, things like that. Um, and and it was great. And I've done that. I had been doing that for uh, quite a long time. And uh, one of the things that uh, I've always um, I've always gravitated to uh, in my career was uh, finding the next growth industry or the next opportunity that uh, that was on the upswing. And for me, um, it was an intersection of, of looking outside uh, my industry, um, which was fintech, but then also um, some relationships that I had um, outside of the wireless world. Uh, it all intersected and it, and it came toward uh, TT. All right, and how how about the the change and the switch towards uh, I, I I don't know I guess remote uh, was more consumer facing and now it's properly B two B and also dealing with very sophisticated counterparts. Uh, how how did you approach that and did did it change your approach to marketing? Well, one of the reasons I think um, our CEO uh, brought me over to TT was. Um, in my role at Motorola, it was not just consumer marketing. Um, obviously, that played a, a significant part, and, and it was uh, a significant budget, right? Um, but part of the job was also uh, the working relationships 
of selling in our ideas as well as our products into the carriers. And so that was uh, really a B2B relationship. And, mm -hmm. and these wireless carriers are very large, sophisticated enterprises as well, um, including the big box organizations. So there was a bit of a B2B um, element uh, to my job. And, and one of the things or, or, or phrases that I say is marketing is no longer about B2C or B2B, but it's really B to P. It's really B to people. You know, you're, you are working and selling and, and, and developing relationships with people, whether they are managing large enterprises or are individual consumers. And that's sort of how um, our company, TT, um, is. Not only do we work with large enterprises, whether it's the banks or the hedge funds or, or proprietary trading firms, but our audience also is the individual trader. Mm. And it's important to be able to find that balance of communication, uh, not only to the enterprise level, but also to the user level. And there's a lot of tools that need to be employed uh, to, to address all those different audiences. So I think that uh, my broad-based experience uh, was very important uh, to, I think, uh, re-energizing and reinvigorating the communications uh, of TT. Great, and I'd love to, to discuss more in details about the tools, but I'm coming back again to your role. If I understand what we discussed earlier, uh, it wasn't replacing an average CMO. It, was it a new role being introduced to the company? Uh, yes, it was. At the time that I was hired, um, we were going through uh, a major company transformation. We were completely changing our technology platform. We were trying to change the way that we uh, ran our business. In a sense, uh, it was taking a 20-year-old software company and trying to transform it into a fintech startup. Mm. And in doing so, um, our CEO, Rick Lane, had a vision of how do we transform the company. And that transformation required a change in not only our, our products, but also our culture, our communication, the way that we do business internally and externally. And he wanted to bring on a leadership team that had that broad-based vision, but also uh, the tools and, and the insight to transform an entire organization. And so my role as CMO was important, not only just from a marketing standpoint, I would actually say that from a marketing standpoint, that was important, but not the most important. It was mm -hmm. probably more important in terms of helping us transform our internal communications, the way that we approach business, our culture, and communicating that so that not only as we were transforming internally, Everyone knew what was going on internally, but how we were able to communicate that externally and align our messaging. Yeah, and that, that really is about the, the role of the CMO, right? And I guess if I can reflect a little bit more on this um, and the fact that it was a new role, um, I guess it's, an, it's kind of also a trend or, or it's the way that some companies adapt, so in particular in the B2B space, uh, becoming a startup, in my view, also means or you know, approaching the, the things in a new way uh, often means moving from this purely sales-driven environment into something that's more comprehensive where you may need someone in marketing or a CMO that can also do the cultural and try to implement the cultural change that are required. Absolutely. I mean, I think, again, uh, 
the company had been around for 20 years and, and from an operation standpoint, they've been doing things um, pretty much the same way. When you're trying to transform an entire organization, sometimes you need um, uh, some elements that fire things up, fire new ideas, fire new uh, innovation, um, fire up new ways of thinking. And um, although my, my, my technical expertise was marketing and strategy, um, I think my overarching role um, was, was much broader. It uh, was a touch point across all the different departments um, to help uh, with, the, with the new vision, reinvigorating with the new vision, but also um, sharing that messaging, again, internally and externally. Uh, and, and I often say that I have the best job in the company, and I, I truly believe that. Um, and, and mostly because um, I get to speak to and engage and work with every department in the organization. I get to the exposure of working with clients as well as our different constituents and touch points, the media, the, 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 um, the institutions, the organizations that, that are part of the industry. Um, I get to touch all those different uh, uh, groups. And that, for me, gives me the broadest view of, of who we are and where we sit within the industry. And I think that's important in telling our stories. Mm. Uh, this transformation that uh, trading technologies ha has been through fairly recently is actually very relevant for the whole industry. Either if, well, if you're not a startup at the moment, you are trying to transform or, or uh, thinking about it. Um, but I guess you're, yes, you, you're, well, 20 years old is not that old, but it, it does sound old in, in terms of what's happening in fintech and things like that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, now we're at, Again, I started five plus years ago, so now we're a 25-year-old company, um, but we were um, among the pioneers mm. of electronic trading. So when you think about 25 years ago, electronic trading was just starting up. And so TT, Trading Technologies, were, were among the first to really um, make uh, electronic trading for futures and fixed income the standard. Um, now, today, it's almost... Um, absolutely the, the standard it's absolutely uh, what people expect um, and how they how they uh, interface um, from a from a capital markets perspective um, but I think that uh, what we're seeing in the industry 25 years later is there is a bit of a uh, a technology um, uh, I don't want to say a dilemma but a, a, a uh, maybe a turning point in technology where um, there absolutely is a bit of a consolidation going on in the, in the capital markets industry um, because of electronic trading, because of algorithmic, algorithmic trading, um, no longer do we have um, all the FCMs, no longer do we have all a, a large number of proprietary trading shops. There's consolidation going on there. There's consolidation going on in in the hedge funds or the CTAs or, or commercial hedgers. What we're also seeing is a, a consolidation or, or um, a need for uh, the, the technology vendors to provide more. And so our clients are saying, what more can you provide us so that you're not just a, a niche technology? And that's what the transformation we went through 
five, six years ago was to create a platform that was extendable, not just a one-trick pony. And, mm. uh, and because we have um, the visionary thinking on the tech side, because we have now an open um, architecture, open platform, if you will, um, that is extendable, um, our, our clients are looking to us to deliver a lot more in terms of the tools. Mm -hmm. Understood. So yeah, that, that explains as well. You, you've actually hit all the points in terms of what was what could the product have looked before and now understand it's also software as a service. Um, could we, just to understand, maybe zoom in on one aspect of the product or, or the product in particular, one of its uh, typical use case? Yeah. So traditionally, we have been an execution management platform. And what that means is, um, you know, the traders would use our, our software to develop their strategies, uh, to develop their um, particular um, algorithmic trading uh, strategies, as well as looking at different spread trading um, strategies, and then execute their trades. This was really where um, the, the different tools of not just charting, but spread trading and, 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 and all those things to actually execute on a trade was very important. Um, and that still is a, a, a standard, um, what we're known for, um, what our, our premium is known for um, from that execution tool. But as I mentioned, our clients are saying, what more can you provide us now that you have this software as a service delivery platform, delivered platform? And so we've extended our, our, our service capabilities to other things like surveillance or like OMS, which is an order management system. So we're broadening this, the tech stack and we're going down the tech stack. So not only are there more tools and more assets that we could provide, but then we're also going deeper into organizations. So if you think of the execution as, as the front end, now we're going further and further into the organization. Order management is almost like the hub and spoke of the order flow. Um, we are now offering infrastructure as a service as well as data, data products. So if you think of our global network, um, we definitely are now seeing clients saying, hey, how can we utilize your global network a lot more efficiently for our cases? Um, now that you have access to all these markets, you have, uh, have co-location in various global uh, markets. And then of course the data, that's, that's another piece, whether it's uh, for surveillance tools or, for, or for, for storing data or for managing data. So if you look at that, that, that now creates a, an ecosystem for our clients for them to utilize a range of services to help them become much more efficient. And, and when it comes down to total cost of ownership, it's really helping them optimize their, their operations um, profitability. And just to then, again, to reiterate, and maybe, you know, for people who are not fully um, accustomed to the, the front end um, technology stack. Uh, so typically before that, or what you replace, is potentially a whole host of uh, vendor systems who are doing one or, or very specific things. Is that right? And now, you, and, and having them work together is a challenge. You're absolutely right. And, and, and 
like our clients, there's so many different ways to slice it and dice it. As you mentioned, some clients have multiple vendors that they have to manage and integrate across the board. Um, another scenario is where, and I think I mentioned, alluded to this before, is um, there was a trend you know, a handful of years ago where large enterprises decided to take on um, the, these projects on their own. So whether it's uh, infrastructure management or backend management or even um, um, developing um, surveillance tools. Uh, and, and I think that was, that was a trend, but now we're seeing that trend pair back where businesses are saying it's more efficient to go to the product, the technology experts, the build versus us, staffing, um, staffing uh, software engineers or, or, or infrastructure folk, um, why not outsource that? But then instead of outsourcing it to multiple vendors, is there a vendor that can do more for us across the tech stack? Um, it's, a, it's a relationship management thing. It's a, it's a cost management thing. And, uh, and we're, we're, we're definitely leveraging that uh, for our clients right now. Mm, understood, understood. But that's how even typically I see you, you must be dealing with, um, or maybe you can tell us a little bit more yeah, who, who your clients with, but uh, typically on the, on the very sophisticated side of trading, uh, and even if there were people who traditionally have a lot of quants and, and coding capabilities in-house, it still, um, it still makes sense to, to outsource, or not outsource, I mean, uh, how would you use it? Uh, to use it, your, would it be a platform? Would you call that a platform? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, uh, um, large organizations, trading firms, they definitely have their clients. They definitely have their folks that build the developers that build their algorithmic strategies, but they still need to integrate with our APIs to execute and, and to send that through to the exchanges and, and again, order flow uh, on, on, the, on the order management side on the back end. Um, we're still a critical piece to that. Um, but what they're finding is how can we become more efficient or effective instead of having large staffs? Maybe we have specialized staffs, but then we work with TT and all their different tools across the tech stack um, to help us become more efficient. Also, um, leading them to maybe more innovative ideas down the road, things that they may have not already been thinking about. Um, they could work with us on, on developing those things. And, and, and some could be bespoke bespoke, uh, excuse me, bespoke um, um, projects. Um, others could be just extending the platform a little bit further or leveraging the platform um, for things that they, they've never thought that they could have done. Mm. Yeah, that's something I noticed, which was quite interesting on your website is, um, despite the complexity and uh, the, the wide rate of offering and um, asset classes that you can trade, right, including cryptocurrencies, um, you offer an, a free, uh, a third, well, anyway, a free trial as an onboarding sure. process. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so the free trial, um, I think, is important on many different levels. Um, oftentimes, uh, there are not just new clients, but new traders within an existing client that are, are getting up to speed um, or who've traditionally done futures, but now they wanted to um, uh, get into options or vice versa. They were traditionally options and they wanted to get into futures. This 
retrial. It's, it's just a way for them to uh, go for a test drive, right? And uh, see the capabilities and range of, of tools uh, for them. I think um, down the road, it might be more uh, of, a, of an offering that uh, is interesting to extend our client base, um, not just uh, in terms of the enterprise, but even in terms of geography. So we're looking at different growth areas. Um, obviously, Asia is still a growth area, but their trader client base is not as, um, I would say, enterprise-oriented. They're, they're leaning a little bit more toward the retail side, even though they are professional traders. Mm. Um, something like a trial uh, gives them a, a taste of what sophisticated tools they would be getting with, with TT. Um, sometimes it's, it's almost more than what they need, um, but I think it's still important to, to show the different offerings um, and, and give them a taste of what, uh, what the value proposition really is from these sophisticated tools. Yeah, and how wonderful to be able to, to test it out. I guess it's, or, or even the fact that it's available, I think is in itself a reassuring for that, even well, before you tried it. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the, the, the beauty and ease of, uh, of a SaaS delivered platform. It, it, it doesn't matter. You don't need to install this heavy uh, hardware and, and, and install it into your CPU. You could just, you know, if you have a browser and an internet connection, you're up and running. Mm. So um, I think now I, I really understand, you know, your offer, how compelling it is and how it solves the problem that I think is very current. This, uh, this new approach to technology for trading firms, but it's also relevant for any financial institution, right? Um, so how, what would be the main uh, marketing challenges that you face and that you're currently addressing? Yeah, so the, I would say the, the, the biggest challenge is balancing between your communication to the enterprises, uh, again, the, the large prop firms, the banks, um, the commercial hedgers, how do you do and communicate to them what do they really need to understand mm -hmm. and learn um, from TT? And then also the communications to the individual traders. Completely different level of, of detail is required. I think on the individual traders, the communication is, is much more on training. It's much more on on, on featuring what the tools can do for them. And, and whether it's training videos on our website or YouTube or tips that we send out through social media or, um, or, or emails that, that, that basically um, try to engage them in a conversation on have they tried X, Y, and Z? Have they tried the charting? Have they tried the, the, um, the surveillance tools? These are individual-based communications, very important. Whereas when we communicate to the enterprises, it's much more of telling a visionary story on how, um, how all these pieces fit, um, whether it's like telling case stories, uh, you know, case studies on, on how we've transformed an organization um, across the board. Uh, and, and it's a different type of marketing, again, it's, it's still storytelling, but it's not like I'm doing a 30 second commercial or I'm doing a, 
a, a digital banner ad. That's not our client base, and, um, and we don't need to invest in that type. But I think it's much more sophisticated, detailed storytelling. Um, and, and I find that interesting. It's very, it's very technical storytelling. But I think, like marketing, you have to take complex com concepts and simplify it so that it grabs people's attention, you build awareness, and then you get them down the funnel in terms of, of learning about it and considering it and, and then eventually taking action. And um, as you manage the different um, audiences that you address, and you, met, you also talked a few times about surveillance, is mean compliance related issues, is that it? Yes. So uh, do, you, um, do you even have a broader, is it, do you talk to, let's say, uh, management or decision maker in terms of enterprise solution, traders in terms of how to use the tool? Do you have in mind, do you, do you have other people that you try to talk to as well? Do you try to talk to this, I don't know, compliance officer and, uh, or, or IT person at the company? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and again, that, that's the, um, another layer of complexity is your audience is very different. Um, for our compliance tool, um, for sure, a compliance officer, a compliance manager is one of the audiences we speak to. And so we need to develop the communication that resonates best with that type of individual. Um, complementary to that, though, if you're selling a, a compliance tool, you have to have um, messages that, that resonate to a trader. Mm -hmm. um, the compliance tool or the surveillance tool is not a tool to inhibit their trading, but it's, it's a tool that actually can, can help them build their strategies so that they are um, staying safe in their trading strategies. So you, you have to, you have to uh, be able to speak all the different types of languages mm -hmm. um, and speak to the different needs of those, those audiences. And, and that's, that's, I guess, the fun part of it as well. And that's where you, all your content comes in, right? You were mentioning about how, how important it is. You've got a great YouTube channel. Uh, you write a lot of articles yourself. Um, how, see if I can try to get into the, you know, the nitty gritty of this, um, because I get, my guess is that it's still a long and complex sales process. Uh, um, so how, how do those elements work together? Um, great question. So it is a long sales cycle. I mean, I think our, our sales cycles are as short as a few months, but typically are 12 to 18 months, right? So if that's a long, such a long sales cycle, what are the different elements that you are communicating along the way? And I, I think it is, is a continuous um, form of communications and, and, and different types of communications, as I mentioned. Um, it, it ranges from the visionary, um, uh, visionary stories, uh, whether it is a long form video or, or uh, case studies that we're sharing. And then it's, you know, it then gets, I guess, more focused depending on, on where it is in the sales cycle, but then you get to the more, um, I would say, immediate end, which is truly trading, training, um, <laughs> or, or tips on how to execute things. And that's like real-time information, and those are obviously much more um, uh, pervasive and ongoing, right? So uh, I, I think we also need to work very closely as an organization 
um, with our sales team, with our customer success team, with our product management team, um, support, um, and, 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 and all of that is continuously moving. And how do you manage all those moving parts? Um, again, that's the, that's the fun piece of it. I, I'm fortunate enough that I have a really good team um, that, uh, that are technically um, strong, so they know the product in and out. So our product management team, or, excuse me, our product marketing team knows the product so that they could translate the complexities of the product but into the right messaging. We have a great documentation team that are technical writers that can speak to what the traders need on a real-time basis when features are released. And again, with a SaaS delivery, features are released you know, much more rapidly mm -hmm. uh, than in the past. So they need to be agile working with product management. We have our social media team that are, is also very well versed in our products because they're the ones developing the tips, even though it's, it's you know, 140 characters, how can you in 140 characters or less give a quick tip and a link to somewhere where it, it sparks uh, an idea for a trader? As, and then, you know, you go up, um, up the, uh, the, the marketing chain and, and, and it's like, okay, how do we have the right vision and the right storytelling um, for this vision? Uh, and again, that's why I go back to I have, the, I have the best job because I get into the most minutia of details, but then I could also be working on something that is, is very high level and, and we're planning new products and, and what's the vision for that. Yeah, it does sound like a like a great job, and you paint a very um, a very good picture. I mean, it becomes very clear in my mind, in the listener minds, of what you know, what what uh, what a CMO in a modern B two B highly technical business, what the role of the CMO is in such an environment, and how the content works with the product and the sales. And I, would, I would say, in a in a smaller company. Obviously, Motorola was tens of thousands of people. Train technologies, we have, you know, less than 400 people. Um, the role of a, of, of a CMO or, or anybody, um, you do have to be much more hands-on. You can't just live in the clouds and you can't live in visionary thinking. Um, you, you need to understand some of the details um, and you need to understand the ins and outs of the different organizations as well as the client needs. Um, but I also personally think that is, um, that's, that's the fun part. That is the interesting part. That is the engaging part of this, not only role, but also in this type of, 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 of company structure. Um, it definitely um, challenges me. It, it keeps me sharper um, to, to live in the different modes of, of the of the um, communication cycles, um, again, uh, really enjoy uh, that type of environment. Wonderful. So um, now that's really great. Um, now I'd like to move on a bit more to look towards the future and also your outlook and advice. And maybe I can start by marketing in general. Uh, we mentioned earlier that it's not all the firms in you know your your sector in the B two B space that have a CMO. And maybe it's, it's not just about the CMO title, but you know, uh, someone at, someone in marketing. That's that's kind of a strategic role. Doesn't have to be something on the CMO. Um, do you think that's something relevant 
for at startup level do you think if the the marketing role uh, only appears when you reach a certain size um, or you know maturity in terms of the company that's a great question and I, and I think there's really no single answer for every organization I, what I will say is is the CMO CMO role particularly now is is definitely uh, at a cross section or can be at a cross section and I think it's most effective when it's at a cross section of of not just communications um, but also within um, culture so it's it, there should be a strong connection with the the, the chief human resource officer. It should have a great connection with the, the sales and, and customer success team. So the chief revenue officer um, and, and, and obviously product, right? It's a cross section of all those things. And I believe if you're in an organization where you are, you are in a need of transformational change, um, whether that's a startup or an existing firm that just needs a shakeup, um, a CMO role um, can be uh, a critical method if they definitely take a very integrated approach across the organization. The, the beauty of what we did was we knew that this role would have influence in driving as well as supporting all the different departments internally as well as uh, the voice externally. Um, one of the things I, I've always told my team is, is marketing role has to be leaders and advocates. You're leaders because you're leading the way and maybe even guiding folks that may not necessarily know that this is the way to communicate or this is the way to, to get a message across. But you also have to be an advocate for these groups, listening to them, taking their information, taking their needs and issues so that it is part of what you deliver. And I think now more than ever with companies, um, you know, a, a major topic that's being raised is, is DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I, and I know that that is an HR piece, but it is truly a culture piece. It is a messaging piece. It is something that, that it becomes part of your company's reputation and maybe even part of your company's brand. Um, and, and I think a, a CMO can help with that uh, if done properly. Um, you know, we, we talk about this now about um, how we, how DEI is so important, in not only attracting, but retaining talent. And when you think about fintech, fintech companies, whether they're, they're small startups or, or existing that are trying to, to, you know, prosper, you're competing with the likes of Google or Amazon or any of the, any of the other Silicon Valley type companies. Um, you need to attract the best talent. You need to retain the best talent. And I feel like uh, having a broad and diverse sense of where the talent is or how to get the talent is, is truly important for, for company success. I'd like to finish off with some lighthearted question, which is a tradition okay. on the show. So uh, first one is, what would you do if you were to choose a different career path? Ah, uh, you know, I think I'd love to be a composer or uh, someone who uh, writes uh, scores for uh, movies or soundtracks. Wonderful. Is that something that you do in your spare time or that you were interested? Uh, when, when I was young, I, I was definitely involved, heavily involved in music. Um, 
and uh, definitely had some aspirations there, but um, but no longer. I do play, and 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 I, I think this was another question. I um, I do play drums in a rock band right now. I've been doing that for the last four or five years. Um, I played drums in college and then took like a 20-year hiatus and um, I'm back at it. So it's, it's fun. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, that, that's fantastic. Maybe you can give it a go um, at composing, uh, I don't know, the, the uh, music for the videos of uh, training technology. There you go. I'm not sure if the, the, it's, it's work for the CMO. Um, but anyway, uh, that, that's great. That's very refreshing to hear. And the last one, your favorite place for holidays. And I don't know, are you still, how's the situation in Chicago? Are you able to travel freely? Um, there, there's restrictions. Um, I think more, uh, I don't think people want folks from the U.S. traveling to their countries. I think that's more of the situation. Um, but no, I, I, I am longing for the day where I could get back to, uh, my favorite vacation place, um, the Big Island, uh, in Hawaii. Um, I'd either go to, uh, to Hawaii or, uh, love to go anywhere in Italy. Those are my two favorite places. Wonderful. Well, I hope you get the opportunity to go there very soon. And for now, I just want to thank you very much for your insights on trading technology and also the role of a CMO uh, in that space. So thank you so much for your time, Brian. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our guests who make this possible. Subscribe to never miss an episode. As this is a new broadcast, if you could give us a five-star review on iTunes and your favorite podcast player, that would be great. Let's work together to accelerate fintech towards the 2030s.